he'll charge through for a point, or he'll blade rush for a point of damage. Uh, he burns his focus that he got handed out at the free focus candy down back at the beginning of the game, and oh. then he will deal a four, five, six damage track. But by paying the cost of necrotic decay, he splashes black blood because he paid he took damage from the trigger. Howdy, friends. Craig here. We have another Malifaux path to podium. This time we're talking to the three gentlemen that made podium at the Las Vegas Open early this year. This was recorded back in February before COVID and before Gaining Grounds 1 came out. We get to learn about the infamous Nekama list that was soloed and won the entire grand tournament. It's interesting to see some key components that uh, actually did get some attention in Gaining Grounds 1. We had a lot of discussion around uh, Resurrectionists and Neverborn, so you Reser and Neverborn players are going to really enjoy this. Andre, who won the event, has also recorded a deep dive onto Nekama, which we'll be releasing later. Make sure you stick around to the end. Uh, I dig deep with them and try to find out exactly why there's the impression that the people in Texas are playing a different style of Malifaux than anywhere else in the world. Enjoy! Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we have the three players that made the podium in the 17-player, five-round LVO Fiendish Gamble GT event in Las Vegas. Now, Doug Bowman from the Lone Star Conference ran the event, and I think this was his first time actually running the event. It's not the first time that we've had a GT at LVO. Uh, previously, it was run by Chrissy, who uh, was the original founder of uh, A Weird Place. But uh, Doug was kind enough to step in and start running it, and he brought a handful of his fellow conference players with him from Texas. And as it turns out, they dominated the podium. So our guests today are Andre Demings, Brian Bauer, and Rob Perry. Now, Andrew Demings took first place, and at the time of this recording, he ranked second in the Lone Star Conference. So, Andre, welcome to the third floor. Hi, thanks for having me on. All right, man. So, you've uh, created a bit of a stir because you won LVO, and it was a GT with 17 players, and you did it soloing a master. What master did you run? Uh, I solo ran Nakima. Yep, and I uh, also heard through the grapevine that uh, some potential weird designers got to watch how good Nakima can be. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of regretting the, that, uh, <laughs> that exposure at this point. Uh, you know, they're taking a look back being like, oh, well, maybe we might overtune here. But, uh, uh, no, it was, it was a good, fu- it was good fun to, to talk to the designers, uh, even, you know, between games and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I did, I did strut my stuff. That's cool, man. That's cool. Now, have you always been a Neverborn player? Uh, yeah, right off the bat. Um, I got into the game with, uh, Pandora was the first thing that I bought because uh, I liked the look of Candy and Teddy. They reminded me of another character that I was a fan of, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And wait, there's a game for this? And so I got in on that, uh, and then once I started you know, actually exploring the rules, um, once I realized there was a tribe of vampire demons available at my disposal, I was all about that. Uh, and actually, my favorite character became Nikima 
even in second edition. Uh, so when she became a master in third edition, I was all aboard that hype train. That's cool, man. Well, I'll be anxious to hear a lot about the list. Now, our second guest placed second. Uh, Brian Bauer, you rank third in the Lone Star Conference. So welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Now, what faction did you play? Uh, I ran the Rezzers. Very nice. That's my favorite hmm. as well. Um, so out of curiosity, uh, Malfo, is this your first tabletop uh, minis game or did you play some others before then? So I started with Warhammer 40k as everyone else did. Yep. Um, moved into Warhammer Fantasy. And when that died, I sort of took a break from minis for about two, three years. Um, decided that I want to jump back into it. My wife sort of forced me into it. Oh, as okay. As that is. Um, she wanted me to stay home more and be around. So minis is great for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she regrets it now though, but That's... you know, um, so jumped back into it cause my group was playing and, uh, here we are three years and later. And they were playing Malifaux and they got you roped in. Oh yeah. They were, uh, they were crazy about it and trying to build a community up. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll jump in. I love the card mechanic, the card draws and, uh, cheating. That's super interesting. It's better than dice. Yep. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. Our last guest is the third place finisher, Rob Perry. Now, uh, Rob, you're ranked fifth in the Lone Star Conference as the time that we're recording this. So welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having the top scrub. (laughs) (laughs) So out of curiosity, Rob, how did you end up getting into Malifo? Okay. So I have been competitive gaming since I was seven years old. Uh, I had been doing the L5R LCG by Fantasy Flight right until I was like, okay, I want to get back into minis. Uh, the meta's getting really net decky. I just kind of wanted to get into something a little more use your own mind. I don't want to see just the same deck over and over and over in tournaments. Uh, and then my friend Jason had another miniatures game that he had backed on Kickstarter, but then it immediately like fizzled, never got any support, never had anything. So I started looking into miniature games that use cards instead of dice. Because like Brian said, you know, cards are a little more forgiving, except when I'm playing against Jack Don the fifth round. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, you know, it was just like, I want miniatures. I like steampunk horror, which is a beautiful theme and no dice. So Malifaux fit me perfectly. And then I fell in love with it and love with it when I found out you build at the beginning of every round. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's is pretty unique. Um, and was one of the things that really got my interest as well. So, guys, what we're going to try to do is we're going to cover each of the five rounds um, of the event, and we're going to try to learn, really, what crews did each of these players bring for each round? Um, What did they play against? Um, And, you know, what were some of the key plays or maybe some tech pieces or some decisions that really decided whether they won or lost and, uh, you know, eventually ended up, uh, uh, like I said, poting them at the event? So, to get started, let's look at round one. It's a standard plant explosives round with breakthrough, Harness the Ley Line, Dig Their Graves, Hold Up Their Forces, and Power Ritual. Now, Andre, you played uh, Edgar out of the West Coast Conference, and you beat him 8-3. You brought, of course, as we talked about, Nekama. And uh, let's see, he brought Ironsides, it looks like. Mm-hmm, that's correct. Um, he said, uh, as soon as we started setting up for that game, uh, he mentioned that he was you know, getting back into it. He hadn't been super fresh on the game. Uh, you know, I told him that I was fine and that stuff. So, but as soon as he set down his models, I was already fairly confident. He had brought three uh, steam arachnids to carry bombs, and so as soon as the game started, I was able to rush. So the the list that I take, uh, which I took for all five rounds, was 
Nakima within human reflexes, Harridan within human reflexes, two matures with ancient pact, wow. uh, black blood shaman, and of course the blood hunter. Uh, and as soon as that game got started, I immediately went for the throat on his steam arachnids, picked up those bombs. Uh, and the only other two bombs he had were on Amina and she was just having to casually jog across the map trying to score anything. Um, so I was fairly confident in that pool going into it. I mean, obviously beating down new players isn't exactly the, uh, an ultimate consummate challenge, but, um, it, it was definitely a, a, a smashing victory in that regard. But as far as like my approach to the game itself, like, Running harness wasn't going to work out for me just because it's a lot of AP burn for a crew that's so elite. It's not fun to try yeah. and run those. Uh, so I went for Breakthrough and Dig Their Graves. Dig Their Graves is easy for the Nephilim because you can keep the Black Blood Shaman and the Blood Hunter in the back. And the blood and the Shaman can just carve off corpses off of the Blood Hunter and then interact right. to drop the Scheme Marker. And you'll get your second point real easy. And obviously I scored the first point off of a Steam Arachnid like turn two. Um, but from there, it was all history, and I, it would even went so far as to uh, three-shot Ironsides. Uh, it was severe, wow. red-severe uh, for her damage, and she just she just imploded. I mean, because she had blown her adrenaline on the attack rather than the defense, and uh, so she had nothing left to survive. So out of curiosity, I mean, you started off with this list. Was the game plan you're going to take the same list all five rounds, or is that just what ended up happening? Uh, so I've been running this list for every tournament game I've ever played in third edition. Uh, this has been my list in the five, I think, events that I've played so far in the, in the Lone Star Conference. Uh, and knowing that I was confident in that list, that's why I chose to bring it in every single round for LVO as well. Well, there's a lot to be said for knowing the crew, right? Um, and the fact that you've played it in so many different events, I'm sure that you've faced a lot of different types of crews and opponents and different styles of masters, and that that gives you a huge advantage. Um, what, what are I mean, what have you figured out about that crew? You know, after all of these reps, um, has the crew changed a lot, um, or has it been this pretty much this crew? You know, for the last you know ten or so games. Uh, so jumping out of beta initially, I was still doing a lot of testing for like what Nephilim builds I liked the best. I was, you know, the Lelu Lelitu card draw appealed to me at the beginning. And then, you know, the double shaman builds try and pulse out a ton of focus. But it all kind of paled in comparison to the ability to take uh, the Neverborn upgrades on models that won't grow out of them. And matures just fit that role. And I know a lot of people enjoy putting in human reflexes on the matures themselves, but I think Nakima and Harridan need those to survive. And the ancient pack for the initiative buffs, especially in a crew that only has six models to begin with, means that you are absolutely out the gate going to have a huge advantage in trying to score initiatives. And for GG0, it's a huge advantage for corrupted idols because you can basically dictate where things like that drop. Um, and so... Once I arrived on Double Mature being the build that I wanted to go with, it was just trying to figure out how to supplant that. And the Black Blood Shaman obviously pulsing out focus makes the crew so much more hard-hitting early, especially if, in addition to the Blast Ritual, you can start hitting the focus trigger on his Black Blood Pustule on Nakima early, so she mm -hmm. can have three, three focus before she even activates her first turn. Um, it can be really brutal, really fast. And the other huge advantage of the crew is that while it's a really fast, really killy crew, it's also, it, it gives you the opportunity to decide what engagements you want to take. Um, and kind of the, the reach that they have because of the matures of fly with me, they can, they can attack someone 20 inches away from the start yep. of their activation. 
And that kind of threat range forces people to play back, but it also means that because they're playing back, you can play back until you decide to go all in on some kind of overextension that the opponent made. Yeah, and you know the way that you got that set up, um, especially with a double mature and a Nekama, of course, uh, you could punish mistakes very quickly. So if you've got some play, if your opponent makes a placement mistake, um, you can punish it because you can get there and obviously deal out the damage. I would imagine though that it's taken a little bit of time for you to minimize your mistakes because uh, you don't have a whole lot of models to lose. Um, and I think if if you make a mistake, someone could punish you pretty quick for it, right? Oh, absolutely. I've had games early on where I would be, I would be like, oh, I've got two to focus on Nakima. I can, I can jump in early. Um, and then, you know, she jumps in, but there's still two or three activations left on the enemy table and she just gets dunked. Yeah. Um, so I definitely learned to start playing the activation game. Uh, because with six bottles, you get, a, you usually will have pass tokens and I hold those until the very last, um, and I'll burn them turn one. Uh, yep. To try and see where the enemy's headed, what overextensions they make, uh, and then capitalize on that. Uh, because you have the two ancient packs for the plus two to initiative anyway, it's not a huge concern to lose those pass tokens, but it leaves you with this really nasty opportunity for Nikima to get one or even two attacks turn one, depending on how far they advance, and then immediately activate into Nikima again turn right. two without fear. Um, it, it, it makes a huge difference. But yeah, you can certainly overextend and die. The crew is... Fast and killy, but it, at its core, it's still not super tanky. Yeah, yeah, but the, the the mobility is, I think, probably the key piece. You know, now that I'm sitting here listening to it and thinking about it, so we'll uh, we'll dig definitely dig into it more when we talk about some of the different pools and who you faced. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Brian, um, you did something very odd. You <laughs> played Reva, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which uh, those of you who listen to the podcast know um, she breaks my heart. Um, and I have been in the, um, not only do I think she is not competitive, but I also think she's not fun, um, to play as, um, uh, because of how she's put together. And then you go around and you, uh, play and beat Molly, who's a strong <laughs> master. Uh, you're playing, uh, Amber, uh, out of the West coast conference uh, and you beat her six, four. So uh, first of all, I'm dying to hear what your list was. Yeah. So, um, so I've been trying to figure out how to make Reva work for a while. It's been a, it's been a struggle. Because she does so many different things. But I think I figured out what I want to do with her and how she functions well. Um, so into this, I ran Reva with Whisper. Uh, Vincent, two shield bearers with the Grave Spirit upgrade. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, Armor 1, Hard to Kill, Terrifying yeah. 11, and Region 2 is yeah, just... Yeah, no, that gives them huge resilience. I mean, they're resilient to begin with, but those two upgrades help a ton. Yeah, they just don't go down. Yeah. Um, uh, there's Wenyudo, uh, which I think is something I was missing early on. Uh, he adds so much to the list, uh, a grave digger and a restless spirit. Interesting. Yeah, I know it's, it's a little weird, uh, but it seems to work pretty well. Um, I figured in this matchup with playing explosives, uh, that my opponent was going to run the normal Steven Bynum Molly list, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, the dead rider, Archie, she didn't run rogue necromancy and said she ran a sir with whisper. Um, which my assumption was to try to harness ley line with all the zombies, uh, but she ended up going with power ritual. Okay. Um, so in the game, I took hold of their forces because obviously the shield bears aren't going to go down. They can run into, uh, the dead rider and hold them up for a turn or two without fail. Um, and dig their graves is an easy point with grave digger and restless spirit. Um, so out of, out of curiosity, Brian, mm-hmm. where did you put your, well, first of all, why, why, trying to think about how to word this hmm. 
do you feel like Reva is your strongest plant explosives master or were you trying to prove a point? Um, no. So I don't think she's my strongest. I think Von Stuck is personally my strongest with plant explosives. Um, but I like how Reva plays and I've been dying to get her into a tournament game. Okay. Um, okay. And I think that this list I have is a solid playing explosive list. Uh, you've got two move seven models with unimpeded to drop bombs. Um, going into this, I looked at the pool and she, she would have had to bring her whole crew to my side to score uh, right. with power ritual uh, breakthrough and play explosives. I didn't need to go to her side, not with hold their forces. She can come to me and I can sit there uh, with, um, with dig their grades. I can do that on my own side mm-hmm. without really interacting with her. And then I can do explosives, you know, pick up the bombs that the Krogans drop because they're squishy. Uh, Reva can run into one, kill it, pick up its bomb and drop on the other side and score. Um, and at the end of the game, Reva had two bombs on her still. And I had four bombs down. Wow. So, uh, it worked out really well. Um, overall, there wasn't anything that was really key that happened in the game. It was just, uh, slow grind up to scoring points. Um, the Gravedigger performed way better than I expected it to. It prevented breakthrough. Uh, so that was awesome. And even got a hold up by charging the Dead Rider on the last turn. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was really nothing crazy about the game. Uh, the Pyre Markers didn't really matter too much. Which Yeah, I don't think you can play the Pyre Marker game with her. I really don't. Um, but you capitalizing on the mobility with Winadu and the um, with Reva being move seven, I think is uh, very interesting. Um, and one, I think one of the key points that you brought up, Brian, is something that I think that uh, the listeners should really focus on, which is uh, when you look at a pool and when you're making some decisions about what crew you're going to bring, especially when you know the declared master on the other side, is figuring out where where the conflict is likely to happen. And the fact that you go through that thought process and make that decision should have an impact on the crew you, that you bring with you. Right. Um, and it's something that's very easy, very, very easy to do and also easy to forget to do. Um, so I think that's very, very smart. Uh, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. So Rob, you played well, you guys beat up on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. Rob, you played another West Coast player, David. Uh you beat him eight uh, two. it was your uh, Neverborn Zoraida against his Neverborn Lucius, which I think is interesting. Um first let's start off uh why Zoraida? Well, I was going for Argon Scorpius, which I ended up getting, but I think I kinda shot my Z a little early. Uh Zoraida's that's what I ran at Gen Con. That's what I run whenever I play Neverborn. I love Mama Z. She's amazing. Uh, plant explosives. Uh, just load up McTavish, load up the first mate, and then use your obeys to drop the bombs with them. You don't have to worry about you know them resisting her obey, which doesn't happen very often anyway, but it's just wipes that off the table. And then they can do all their awesome attacks on their activations, and you just use her obeys to drop the bombs. Now, Lucius can be a, a, can be excellent into plant explosives. Um, was there anything in particular that you did to, to help minimize um, his efficiency? He kind of ran the hooded rider straight at me, and I let McTavish just eat it alive. And really, it really just didn't go in his favor at all. There was nothing yeah. really in the game that I was just all like, okay, I have a chance at losing this. How but, many rounds did you guys end up playing? Oh, we, we went to full five. Good. Good, yeah, good. Uh, 
he I his, I never even attacked his Lucius. Serene countenance annoys the crud out of me. <laughs> uh, and then all he had left on the table was Lucius and three of the uh, tiny mimics, the, the Neverborn mimics. Changelings. The changelings. Changelings, thank you. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, Lucius is good. I'm a huge fan of Lucius. Um, I've never really seen him in Neverborn yet, um, but only been really encountered him in Guild. Um, and he, he can be nasty, um, but you can also you can crush that crew. Um, they they are paper thin, um, and if you know how to pick your targets and you're smart about activations and watching out for threat ranges, because it's a little hard to gauge threat ranges against Lucius. Um, but uh, if you play it smart, you can definitely. Uh, definitely do that um was out of curiosity was there any true any pure neverborn models other than the changelings that uh uh, david brought oh gosh okay so other than hooded rider oh we brought the hooded rider you mentioned that okay yeah no and then other than that it was uh one investigator one lawyer um three changelings and the scribe and I was running some jank. Uh, no Agent 46? No, he, yeah, Agent 46. Oh, okay. but, I, but I Agent 46 <laughs> at the bottom of one. Got um, it, yeah. Yeah, Mama Z's 24-inch, you know, obey on uh, the first mate just kind of melted his face. Crit Built-in yeah, crit strike. It, it's I, a finesse crew. It's a finesse crew. Well, not only um, that, but I play dirty and I run a, a Vasilisa in my Mama Z crew. Interesting. So when you... Get the, uh, got the voodoo off on the hooded rider because he rushed him forward. Uh, use the voodoo dolls frantic to tick him down uh, two. Then when you kill the voodoo doll for the card, he also drops a scrap marker in the Vasilisa because you've got 14, 15 cards to choose from at that point to just make sure that you have a 10 of mask or higher for a stitched. Yep. And then you can obey that stitch into position and then let it take its two uh, gambles. Yeah, those models are fine. There's no issue with those models. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, they're like, yeah, and human reflexes and stitch need to go nerf. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're nine point models, so they should be good, right? Mm. Amazing. It'll, I'll be very interested to see what happens to stitched. Oh, so, yeah. guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about round two. Round two is a flank turf war round. We'll be right back. Okay, so three solid wins. Um, the Lone Star Conference dominating the West Coast Conference. I got to say, though, I was really happy to see uh, some West Coast players in that event. Um, uh, I get uh, all kinds of stats on um, uh, you know, the, the who listens from where um, on the podcast. And uh, we have more, more listeners in California than anywhere else in the country, which I think is really interesting. I mean, obviously, California is a huge state, but we just don't hear about uh, the game being played that much in California. Uh, but I know there's people listening from California, so uh, it's nice to hear that. Um, I would really love to start getting some West Coast events uh, scored for um, uh, the USFT. I don't think we, I think this is the first one for the West Coast, which was the LVL, because uh, Nevada's part of the West Coast Conference. Well, they probably listen so, to the podcast in the commute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have more than enough time when they drive, <laughs> yeah. right? Not enough time I'm to play. Sure. All right, so round two, it's a flank turf war with take prisoner, power ritual, assassinate, deliver a message, and claim jump. 
Now, Brian, you brought uh, a master that I have yet to get on the table, but uh, I'm fascinated to hear about this. You brought uh, good old Jack Daw, and you played another Lone Star player, uh, Nick, and his Masaki, and you won 8-4. So first I'd like to, I'd be curious to know what your Jack Daw crew looked like. Yeah, so uh, it's Jack Daw, his uh, totem, obviously. It was Matresser. I also brought along uh, the Hanged with the Grey Spirit upgrade. Sorry, Daw also had the Grey Spirit upgrade. Because uh, region two is ridiculous. Yep. Um, Jakuna and three guilty. Three guilty. Okay, so you go for the, you go the guilty angle with that. That's interesting. Now I'm going to ask you the same type of question um, that I asked about Reva. Was it uh, you just wanted to get Daw on the table, or do you think Daw is good in turf war? Uh, Daw is good in any killing matchup. Um, anything where there's killing the pool, Daw is unparalleled in Rezzers for it. Uh, and what, what schemes did you end up taking? Um, I ended up running uh, Assassinate and Claim Jump with it. Assa- assassinate against Masaki is a ball. I know, call. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a little much. but um, And I we know you scored two points because you scored eight, so that's impressive. Yeah, I was pretty confident going in, uh, especially with Daw. Um, he is really easy to take down Masters pretty quickly um, just because he attacks movement, so he bypasses any defensive triggers. And, you know, I can go up against a master that's defense seven, but move five, which becomes move three with staggered. And then I just wail on them to death. Yeah. Um, the problem with Misaki, obviously, is she can choose whenever she pops out and where she pops out. Uh, so that was the positioning game I had to play with him. And what was the approach there? Because I'm dying to hear how you were able to pin her down. Uh, so the goal going in was obviously to kill his models, right? Like, obviously. Um, but as I killed models, I gained activation control, which allowed me to walk around and destroy his shadow markers. Uh, and by doing that, I was able to control where Misaki was popping out at. Um, and eventually I cornered her into a very small area that I allowed Daw and Matresser to sit in. So whenever she popped out, I could just hit her really, really hard. Um, and another one of my focuses was to kill unactivated models, which would have forced her to activate early and give me two activations on her. Yeah, which has a huge impact on her mobility. Um, so he brought uh, Misaki, Minako, Ototo, Fuhatsu, the effigy with the upgrade, and two, I don't know how to say this, Torkage, Torkage? Torkagi. Torkagi. So obviously having a Toto and Fuhato is scary to Daw, right? Like they're terrifying models to him because they just ignore everything. Yeah. Um, but luckily at the end of turn one, I was able to jump Daw on both of them, give them both his, his upgrade to stagger them and give them slow. So realistically, they're removed from the game from turn one. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't do anything. I eventually killed them turn three. Uh, so I just removed two henchmen early. Um, I killed... A uh, Minako turn two. That's huge. Um, yeah, like it was everything just went in my favor. Um, I was able to force his to discard all his cards. Uh, I think at one point I made him discard the red joker. It was one of those play it or lose it, but even if he played it, I still won the flip. So it didn't really matter. Um and yeah, I just slowly ground that out into um until I got Misaki out. She jumped out early to try to stop my claim jump. She attacked the hanged. Um, couldn't break through his terrifying effective 14. Yeah, so 12 plus the upgrade to give it 13. And then she was near Daw, so 14, right? Yep. Uh, which is 
bonkers. Uh, so she popped out early to kill him, which allowed me to bring her down to half. And then when she popped back out, it was just game over for her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously when she declared assassinate, that puts uh, Nick in a terrible position. <laughs> he's got to decide, you know, do I put her in a potential threat situation or do I run away with her? But if he runs away with her, that that really hurts uh, not only his, you know, his killing power, but his, his ability to score, because a lot of times Masaki can just be great for scheming um, with with all of that mobility. But um if you're able to uh, reach out and touch her with Daw, that's going to be uh, a bad day. Um, so that's a nice win. We've got, um, at the time of this, uh, that we're recording this, we have not recorded the Daw deep dive, um, but we're going to be doing it here in about a week or so. Um, and uh, it's it's a master that I'm surprised we're not hearing more about because I think Daw in the right hands is a very, very good crew. I think both in Outcast and in Rezzer. Um So well done, my friend. So round two, Rob got to go into the grinder of Andre's broken ass Nekamuk list. <laughs> hey, <now>. so, uh, <laughs> Rob, you brought Pandora, which I think is an interesting pick um, uh, uh, to go against Andre's uh, list, um, especially with all that uh, focus and stuff that he's throwing around. So I like that pick because you knew what uh, Andre was going to bring. Uh, now, Andre, you yeah, ended up talked winning, about it during uh, lunch. <laughs> did you? That's funny. Yeah. So, uh, let's start. Um, let's start with Andre. So, Andre, you you won seven four. I'd be curious to know what you scored on. Uh, so, anytime I play into Pandora, and as soon as he declared his list, he didn't have the hooded rider with him. So, I already knew right off the bat that Pandora's mobility was going to be kind of lacking. So, I strove for power ritual, and then as long as you can pass terrifying duels, uh, Nikima can beat up Pandora pretty quickly. Yep. Uh, so I took Assassinate as well. Um, and Power Ritual worked out. The Black Blood Shaman basically just ran like two-thirds of that scheme and then Herodin ran the other point off in the corner. But um, yeah, and then Assassinate really worked out. The other issue was that I was able to cover the board more quickly to capture turf markers. And that meant that I could start the fight on his side of the map so he could never go to the other turf markers to try and score. Like, he got his corner and he got the middle one, which is his two points for turf war, but he never really got outside of that corner of the map, um, which was part of my plan. Yeah, you dictating the zone of engagement in turf war is a big deal because, A, you don't you have less concern about your markers, and two, you're putting pressure on his markers that, you know, that when, when killing is happening, you're flipping him to neutral and forcing him to spend AP to get him back again to, uh, to try to stay back in the game. So, Rob, uh, out of curiosity, now that, you know, obviously the game is over, is there anything that you think you could have done list wise that maybe would have impacted the results? Or were you pretty happy with the list and you think it's more a matter of, uh, you know, things that happened over the five turns? Well, his hand hotness in round three aside (laughs) and for some reason going against both of these fools my black joker like to pop really really rough um i definitely would have changed the list i I tried some squirrely stuff um that didn't really work out what was that uh I i ran hinamatsu and vasilisa that way when the uh and teddy and that way, when they turn off, maybe I can get a stitch out of Vasilisa. Vasilisa, you know, can give, she can only give minions the extra action, but giving it to Stitched and then they die and drop another scrap marker and then you turn it back into another, like it's just an endless cycle. And I think Vasilisa candy and a stitch were all that was left. Wow. Because Nekama ran into my face and then when I went to retaliate with Dora, 
I couldn't hit her. Like his hand was so hot right there. Yeah. It was nasty, nasty. He dodged the box with all his models. Then I think I flipped a 10 on the attack and he had the 13 still in hand. Like it was just his, he had me. Like it was, there was not really a whole lot I could have done. Uh, I would have ran Arcanist if I'd have had a choice. <laughs> yeah, that makes life a lot easier. Um, so one thing to keep in mind, uh, listeners, when you're thinking about this, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're up against an experienced player uh, like Andre or somebody else, and they make a run like that, so they make a move, um, and then in this case, bringing Nekama in, um, they likely have a good hand, and you need to be ready and prepared for that because that's going to impact what you cheat and when you cheat. Um, generally speaking, they're not going to make that type of a move if they've got a weak hand. Um, but a lot of times, which, you know, you'll say, yeah, the guy moved in on me and I was you know, shocked. He had a good hand. Well, you know, no kidding. That's probably why he moved on you is because he had the hand to back up the back up the move, especially especially with Deco to be able to uh, hopefully have a hand to be able to keep her alive uh, defensively as well. That is definitely coming from someone who does not play in the Texas meta. <laughs> oh, really? Huh? Yeah. How's that, Rob? Okay, so this was actually said a couple times during the LVO. Uh, we're aggressive. We are super mm. hyper aggressive. That is how we play in Texas. And Andre could have had a garbage chain and probably still would have killed two models. Because yeah. stat seven on that sword is a big fang of death. So, Andre, is, is the quality of your control hand that does not have a factor on your aggressiveness? Um, it can turn one, but turn two, if I still have a bad hand, even after waiting for turn one to give me cards, uh, instead of going all out, I'll still choose to kill something, but I have to be selective about it because Nakima can go all out and have a fantastic time. Uh, if you can just top deck well enough, obviously, but that's, you know, you're kind of leaving your hands, you know, leaving your fate in the hands of the cards. But, um, I try to make measured attempts with what I have in hand, so it's like if I if I can only guarantee one attack hitting, then I'm only going to play around one attack hitting, and then everything else is gravy. Uh, right. So it does still lead me to play less aggressively. But to Rob's credit, my I blew a lot of high cards in the in the round that I engaged on turn two, uh, killing Hinamatsu uh, because Nakima got got stacked up on focus and the ran in and just brute forced her way through armor two uh, to bring Hinamatsu down at the start of turn three. And uh, it could have been totally reasonable to assume that I didn't have a great hand in turn three, having just blown a bunch of high cards in turn two. It just so happened that between my ancient pack card draws and things like that, uh, that I was able to replenish and still have a good hand for, for turn three. Got and, it. Um, I also want to make a note about his list and how protective it is. Even if he dies on you with a bad hand, you swing back at him. Most models have a one inch engagement, right? He just butterfly jumps an inch half an inch away from you that way you can no longer hit him but you're still engaged well, I was by Dora, doing plays like that well yeah but by doing things like that it allows him to go in with a bad hand and still be survivable have some defensive tech to be able to survive uh some p- potential bad top decking right right because even if you're flipping like a young god if i can guarantee you're only going to get one attack off even if you hit and read me for damage, I'm still going to be able to survive what's coming because you're only going to get one attack. Right, right. Um, so obviously I would imagine you're you know, super conscious of anything that's turning off defensive triggers, though. Well, thankfully, Butterfly Jump is not a trigger, uh, so that'll work on things even like disengaging strikes, where if I try to leave melee, uh, 
you know, I'll push my whatever reduced distance you hit me for and then still butterfly jump. Yeah. Um, So the things that I really look out for to try and shut butterfly jump down are either people that don't care, uh, which is actually includes Nakima with a two inch reach and frenzy charge. She's going to catch you even if you jump away. Yeah. Uh, But it's other stuff that can punish butterfly jump, like hazardous terrain and things like that, where I'm starting to have to make decisions about whether or not I want to try and move away or just not provoke damage. That's the kind of stuff that makes me start to think. Yeah, and, and unused leaps and things like that as well, right? Absolutely. Makes, makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense. Well, good. So now um, we've got uh, just one loss, and it was handed to you within the conference. Um, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about round three. And round three is a wedge corrupted idols round. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, Rob, you bounced back nicely. Uh, you brought Marcus, um, which I'm really anxious to hear about that. And uh, you beat another Lone Star Conference player. It was uh, Andre's wife, Ashley, and she brought Zoraido. So it was an 8-2 win. First off, everybody knows Marcus is garbage, right? So to explain to me uh, what uh, what brought you to bring Marcus, and do you think Marcus is garbage? Okay, first of all, no, I do not think Marcus is garbage. On the right mat, that unimpeded on every single model is amazing. Yeah. They are fast. You can run to where you need to run to. Probably even faster than Nakima or Nakama or however you pronounce it. It's just not nearly as murdery as that list. Yep. Uh, I did have an unfair advantage in this round. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Andre's wife was borrowing my Marcus. And since I was going for Aryan Scorpius, I told her if we matched up, we'd have to flip list. So this one was kind of a bunt for me. Uh, she was not overly familiar with Zoraida. I didn't give her a jank list. It was a real solid list, something I would have played, but uh, it was more just a, I was tilting her own pimp into her. Yeah, and that's tough, man. Zoraida is not a, I've never really played this before. I'm going to give this a run, uh, Master. There's, there's um, as good as she is, she's not easy. Um, uh, and there's there's a lot of opportunities for mistakes. So that um, that definitely gives the advantage to you, Rob. Talk to me about your Marcus list. Uh, I like the Scorpius and two Razor Spines and then uh, using Paul Crockett to just trigger a jack ton of extra attacks and stack that poison. That's basically the whole point of it. And, and what are your feelings about the initiates? I don't run them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they can be fun, especially if you want to get like Scent of Blood in the Air or something like that where they can just run up, take their own damage, give a damage to something else, then you get off the 
attack, discard the upgrade to try, hopefully hit, and then get uh, adversary beast yep. for your other monsters like Kojo or the Scorpius or you know something like that. But yeah, I, don't, I haven't I haven't played around with the initiates too much. They're cheap. That's nice. Yeah, so I'd be I'd, I'd be curious to know kind of your thought on that, Rob. So, do you feel like um, the reason we don't see initiates on the table is because um, they're bad, or is it there just isn't room because there's a Marcus has a pretty good selection um, to choose from? I mean, yeah. What am I going to take out? Like, I could drop right. one razor spine, maybe. But no, the whole point of the list is to plug poison on all his henchmen and masters and let the Scorpius just sit there and laugh at them. Right. And I think there's a certain uh, aspect to the order, order initiates and that they're untested, whereas people will reach for Cerberus every time. They see that stat 6, 3, 4, 5 with Onslaught, and it's just hard for them to leave that at home. I, I do think there's some interesting synergies for them specifically as a Neverborn Marcus, where mm-hmm. if you pair them with Inhuman Reflexes, they can start doing Stampede and Blade Rush in uh, a single AP, and so they're dealing two single points of damage getting through armor and things like that before they even take a swing. But they're also 40 uh, mil, so they're not that mobile if there's a big clump. Right. Um, and then I think in addition to that, the fact that they can attach re- uh, upgrades to themselves at will also gives Marcus Lopov a lot of opportunity to um, draw cards off of his six-inch aura, uh, standing there like the proud father he is. I, I think there's opportunity there. I just don't think people have capitalized on it yet. Yeah, no, you're right, and you know all of those other models that we're typically seeing in a Marcus list, the, 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 uh, the snakes, the Kojo, and stuff like that are, are, are models that everybody's so so familiar with in from two E because that's what he ran, you know, he ran in two E as well. Um, so I think that's a valid point. Now, the one thing, um, as a general rule, um, and I'm not saying this is an absolute, it's very dangerous to run Marcus into Zareda. Um, because Zareda can obey and tear off your own upgrades. Um, so just as a rule, you might kind of watch out that for you, for you Marcus players out there, because um, that can t- t- typically can be just a very nasty, nasty matchup. And that's not only Zareda, but any kind of obey master, uh, because you, when you're obeyed, they can choose to uh, remove those upgrades. Um, so it can be kind of hard to kind of build up the... Uh, the, the big punch that you try to do with a Marcus crew. Um, so, Andre, after you got done um, uh, getting rid of Rob around two, you decided, you know what, let's play Brian um, and let's beat him 6-4. And Brian brought a uh, what I think is one of, if not the strongest master in wrestlers. He brought Von Stuck. Um, so, Brian, let's start with you. I'd be curious to know what your Von Stuck list is. Uh, yeah, so obviously I played against Andre a couple of times. Um, so I sort of knew I was getting into Um I did some modifications. I brought Stuck with Whisper, Anna Lovelace, Valedictorian, one undergrad, whereas I normally bring two, mm-hmm. and then two Necropunks with the Gray Spirit upgrade. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and that's interesting. So that, that makes those Necropunks kind of expensive, but obviously you find, feel like it's worth it, the two points? Yeah, just uh, Terrifying 11. Um, I think in our first game where I ran them, oh, um, I had... <laughs> Uh, I had outflank with my Necropunks and he had a mature on each. They couldn't do any damage whatsoever to the Necropunks because they couldn't break that terrifying. And what's sorry, the willpower on uh, matures? Uh, it's only five. And you think you'd be, I'd be able to squeak out a six to pass a terrifying duel once in a while. But uh, they, they went toe to toe with my matures the whole game and didn't That's die. Not, 
That's funny. Um, so in your mind, Brian, um, you know, after the game is over, um, is there anything from a list perspective you think you would have changed um, or is it really execution? Uh, it's somewhat execution. Um, I think I would drop the other undergrad. Um, I was bringing in from a building. Really? Yeah. Against Nakima, I don't think it's useful wow. because okay. he just teleports in, smacks something for three times, gets black blooded and then dies. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I was trying to use him more for doing schemes and maybe teleport to a corrupted idol marker and throw something. Uh, but that never worked out. I actually score a single point from corrupted idols. Oh, no kidding. Really? So he shut down that entire thing. Yeah. He was just too mobile. He was everywhere. Um, I mean, really? So the idea from the get go was to try to be more aggressive than I normally am. Um, as he mentioned, everyone plays far back from him and, He's super aggressive. Uh, so what I was doing was I actually put Stuck at the very tip of the wedge. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea was that I could walk up and double blast injured on his whole crew because he uh, deploys him clumped up. And by giving them injured two, I could delay him jumping on me turn one and let mm-hmm. me do some setup, right? Um, unfortunately, my opening hand was probably the worst hand I've had in a while. Uh, I had 112 and then everything else was a five or less. Um, stone for cards, drew two more weak cards. Not a big deal. I'd whisper, uh, looked at my whisper cards, five, five, one. <laughs> and it was just so bad. Um, thankfully the gamble paid off because Andre didn't come in on me. Turn one. Uh, he's a little skittish. Uh, he actually looked at me and said, this is the moment of, do I go in or do I play <laughs> reserved? And um, he stared at me for maybe like 30 seconds and said, okay, never mind. I'm not going into this turn. Um, And probably kept me in the game. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yeah, and I would imagine too, I mean... It's an an interesting approach, right? Because one of the things that not only are you... um, there's that injured tempering his mobility, but you're also impacting his desire to get aggressive too. Um, you know, with that, with that, with that injured on some key models, it makes them more exposed um, to, to, you know, to counterattacks. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Andre, if you could have given Brian any advice um, that could have made the difference, how do, how do we beat Andre's list? Uh, for Von Stuck specifically, I think that using Stuck himself as an attack piece is part of the the key way to beat Nikima. And I say that because most of Von Stuck's attackers have a one-inch reach and their melee attacks. So you either you get to attack Nikima and Harridan and constantly be robbed of AP on the butterfly jump, or you get to attack my matures and can't cheat anything. Uh, right. Von Stuck doesn't have those problems. He can attack from 10 inches away, and if as long as I'm in the melee, I'm already up in your face. I can't really dodge out of that. Uh, and then on top of that, it also sets up the rest of the crew... Uh, to beat on me later with that injured getting handed out yep. when he blasts into me. Um, now, Harridan does kind of bring some counterattack to that in that if you start trying to blast into me while I'm bunched, I'll splash on myself and heal. Um, so the only thing you'll really hand out to me is injured early. Um, so honestly, I've been thinking a lot about the Von Stuck matchup. And other than bringing what he did, I think that Von Stuck and Anna are very good pairing to try and stop my list because I run upgrade heavy and Von Stuck's academic superiority robs me of my upgrades, which means I can't yep. butterfly jump anyway. And Anna's aura to stop places meant that my flight wasn't coming into effect either. Uh, and so I kind of had to 
fight like a regular grunt in the trenches to try and beat down those models first to make sure that I could regain my own wings and upgrades back. Um, so I think that bringing those two models is a key part of it. It's just figuring out how to capitalize on that um, that hasn't been nailed down yet, I'd say. So in, in your mind, and either for you, Andre or Brian, like when did you know the game was over? Uh, was it turn something three. early? Turn three? Turn three. So, so what happened turn three? Uh, so turn three, uh, the Valedictorian was dead. Um, I think he had killed Stuck at the end of the turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had looked at me and he was like, all right, do you just want to call it? Like, it's going to be eight, four. Um, thankfully I decided to stick it out and made it a four, six game. instead of eight, four. Um, my necropunks from his backfield scoring points. So I was for sure. I was going to get the four points. So talk to me about the two points though. Um, it, it was AP. Um, I kept Anna in there. Uh, pretty much she was denying his flight movements. Right. Uh, which was a huge critical role in everything. She also killed one of the matures and turned it into a student of Viscera. Nice. Um, which allowed me to recoup one of my necropunks that Hayden had murdered. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, there was the the, yeah, the, the clutch turnaround moment of why it wasn't 8-4. I, was, I thought I had the game in hand. I had a full health mature in Anna's face. I thought everything was fine. And then Anna is just like pokes out and decides to hit him twice through the combat finesse and does moderate, moderate both hits. And it's like, cool, I've got a student of viscera now. Um, and that, I think, significantly changed what my projected you know, in-game state was going to be. Yeah, if you're playing against Von Stuck and you and you allow that swing where you're losing a model and he's gaining a model, it's it's nasty. It is nasty. All right, guys. Um, so we're gonna. That's the end of day one. Um, so, Rob, how you feeling at the end of day one? I'm okay. Uh, bounced back after Andre. I beat up on his wife a little bit. Is you know, <laughs> got, got got some proxy vengeance right there. Uh, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot I could do in round two. The board kind of was played in his favor. There was a huge bridge in the middle or platform. So his flight was a huge advantage. I like, it's one of those things where like, if everything just doesn't go your way, you just got to pull your bootstraps up and move on. And how about you, Andre? So now you're, you know, in a position we've had three wins. Um, in theory, your competition is going to get a lot tougher coming into day two. Um, you've committed to the list at this point. Um, is there any of the two rounds that uh, you uh, weren't feeling great about or are you feeling pretty confident? Uh, I knew that going into round four, I was going to play into a reser on Yanlo because uh, me and Andrew uh, had been talking back and forth about what we're probably going to bring because obviously he knew he knew what I was bringing and so he felt yep. fair was fair. Um, and Yanlo really scares me uh, that that guy's just like really difficult to deal with in terms of a reckoning uh, strategy. And so I was definitely worried going into that. Um, but in terms of players that I was afraid of, uh, Rob and Brian were actually at the top of my list. I was most afraid of them going into the tournament and knowing that they were, you know, they were, th- those games were already behind me. Did, yeah. While I was afraid of Yonlo, did give me a sense of confidence going into day two. Yeah, no, that makes sense. How about you, Brian? Uh, you know, I felt pretty good. Um, I expected to lose against Andre. Um, obviously, I gave him my all, but I wasn't anticipating a win, so I felt pretty good going into it. So I, obviously, I you know I try to track and um, keep track of all the conferences, and um, obviously knew your names before I actually had you guys on the show. I do need to ask a key question, and 
in a matchup between Travis Rule and Andre, who Ooh, wins? Travis. Travis. Oh wow! Okay, you guys want to think about that for a second? No. So <laughs> no, I've, just, I've noticed his performance uh, there in the Lone Stars is very impressive. Yeah, I've played into Travis on three different occasions, and I've gotten closer to beating him each time. Uh, the first one was a seven-four loss to his Masaki, uh, but I had done something early to him. I had read Joker on damage from Nakima into his uh, Yasunori, uh, and he stat- He literally for like ten minutes just stared at the board like. Uh, and then he finally <laughs> came back uh, and, and beat me 7-4, but that, that kind of gave him a wake-up call that he started having to try harder. And so in the second game that I played into him, he, of course, brought uh, God King Shenlong, and uh, that was difficult for me to deal with. I made a terrible mistake in leaving Nakima within one inch of Shenlong while he was unactivated, um, yeah. and so that, that cost me my master turn one. And so... I learned from that as well, but it was still a closer game. He only beat me by a point. And then our third game, I played it into that same disgusting Shenlong Reckoning list that he runs, uh, which for the record, for all the listeners out there, is Shenlong, Masaki, Shang, Fuhatsu, Yasunori, and his peasants. It leaves you with exactly 10 stones, and the easiest thing to kill on that table is Yasunori. It's disgusting. That's but crazy. I managed to tie it out uh, in our third game. And that was like a crowning achievement for me. So usually my strategy <laughs> is for some reason Brian can beat Travis now. We don't know what the magic sauce is, but he's got it on lock. So as long as during a tournament Brian can knock Travis out of this top, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't play him myself. That's not that funny. That's funny. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk about that standard reckoning round. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase Markle compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR620, that's T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-620, to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. Okay, so we start day two. We've got a standard reckoning round with detonate the charges, harness the ley line, search the ruins, assassinate, and claim jump. Now, Brian, your Von Stuck was uh, avenged with a win against Ophelia, uh, piloted by Philip, who also came out of the Lone Star Conference. And if, if memory serves, Philip finished pretty high too, didn't he? I think he got, uh, was it fourth or sixth? Something like that. Uh, and sixth, and, and then, it got fourth. Fourth place was also Lone Star, um, so it wasn't just the podium. Um, everybody uh, showed up. So a relatively close game, relatively high scoring, seven five. Um, uh, what uh, first? Uh, did you bring undergraduates this time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I uh, I ran my standard um, Stuck crew. Um, I was actually going to run Jack Daw, but once he declared uh, by you, I knew I couldn't run Jack Daw anymore. 
Um, they have that ruthless upgrade they can just give to Ophelia and she'll just shoot him to crap. Like it's not going to be a good time. Um, we'd actually talked about extensively the night before, um, probably for about an hour, just trying to theory out our game. Um, so I brought Stuck. I did, I brought valedictorian and, uh, two undergrads, two necropunks with the upgrade. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, I made a huge early mistake. Uh, I dove across the table with the valedictorian onto Raphael. Uh, Flinch is ridiculously overpowered. Yeah, Flinch is good. Like, oh my god, uh, just shielded on every attack. Um, and I would take him down to one health, and then he had a Bokar, which would just heal him back to full right afterwards. So it just wasted all my activations. Um. I saw a tunnel vision on Raphael to try to kill him because I really wanted that summon. Uh, looking back, I, there's a couple other things I should have done, but um, I don't think I killed him until turn four after that. It, it, that's so easy to do, though, Brian, when you're when you're playing Von Stuck is to get super, super focused on summoning. Um, and it, it can cause you to make less than optimal plays. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 and that's not a criticism. That's just easy to do. Yeah. Uh, it's something that you have to constantly fight because like we mentioned, uh, uh, before the break, it's so huge if you pull it off and when you're, when you're swapping models, it can be game breaking for the opponent. But at the same time, if you're not smart about it and you get too hyper-focused on it, you can end up losing the game. Oh yeah. I mean, I just saw an eight stone model that couldn't use soul stones. Yeah. Um, and I figured if I can kill this turn to a student viscera, the game's going to swing really hard in my favor. Um, obviously didn't happen. Uh, he actually sniped one of my necropunks early. He read Joker the damage. So that sort of hurt my schemes. I guess I should probably say what I took. Um, I brought uh, assassinate against affiliate cause I'm dumb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, search for ruins cause necropunks can score that pretty easily. Yeah. Um, the assassinate actually worked out for me as it seems to. Uh, that was probably the game-changing moment was turn five. Um, I guess out here, that's jumping ahead too much. Um, pretty much, we just slugged it out in his deployment because he was a gun line, and I could just teleport to him. Uh, and there really wasn't anything crazy that was going on. We would kill model here, kill model there. He ended up killing Stuck at the mid of turn four um, because I moved Stuck up really far to turn off Philly's upgrades. Uh, that's something I've smart. Been trying oh boy, to focus I didn't even think on. about that. Yeah, um, it's just something I've been trying to focus on is turning off upgrades because they just change games. So yep. he got too far forward. Uh, the emissary walked up, rolled over him, punched him to death. Uh, but I was able to kill the emissary, which was his claim jump target. Nice before it scored. So that was two points just gone from his side. And then Anna, hero of the day against. Charged into Ophelia and knocked her down to half on turn four. Gave me point one. Um, turn five, I activated her first. Used focus, knocked her, hit her with severe. She pitched all of her upgrades in a stone to reduce the damage to zero, which was silly. Brutal. Yep. Um, and then my lucky break happened. I hit her and I read Joker the damage for seven damage. And he stoned off one damage and killed her. Which oh, boy. Swung the game hugely into my favor. Um, because if I had killed her, it would have been a tie game for sure. 
Yep. Um, and I think I'll tell you, um, I think Ophelia is good. Um, oh, I think yeah. that Ophelia's biggest problem is that the rest of the faction is bonkers. Yes. Um, if if uh, the rest of the faction had normal masters, I think Ophelia would get a lot more table time. Um, but um, I'll be interested to see. Um, I think one of the things um, that I would love to see for Bayou is a little bit more balance between keywords, um, because I think. I mean, every single one of their keywords are, are just great. They're just fun, great keywords. Um, oh, yeah. And I think it's a shame that we don't see things like Ophelia more um, because I think she is a, a very interesting master. She's very unique, and the whole keyword is unique. So, Andre, let's talk about what we uh, hinted at, and that is going up against Andrew, who uh, plays out of Mississippi, and his Yan Lo crew. Um, so the first thing that you mentioned before the break is you just said that um, – Yanlo can be a problem uh, for your, and now is that just in general or for this particular list? And if so, why? Um, I would say in general, I mean, obviously my crew likes to kill stuff and Yanlo just does not let that happen. Um, so the, the typical Yanlo opening play is like, all right, I have Manos's upgrade on me now from Chiaki playing a little flute. And then I have the spirit or the ash ascendant upgrade. So if you try to come in and fight me, you're going to take hazardous damage. And at that point, it's kind of the king's castle. You're not really going to try and you're not really going to be able to kill him unless you're bringing some kind of anti demise tech, which Neverborn just doesn't have. Um, so I knew that in a reckoning game with assassinate, I was already going to be at a huge disadvantage. And so obviously, I didn't take assassinate because that would have been psychotic. But yep. I. Uh, I knew that Yan Lo, kind of like Pandora earlier, while he's nearly impossible to kill, he's slow. Well, his crew yep. is slow. And so uh, I know the board was pretty heavy with terrain. And so I picked Harness the Ley Line, even though I don't like it for my crew, and Search the Ruins because I knew that uh, I would be able to try and stay away from him while running those schemes uh, and then just treat Reckoning as a non-issue. Um, and that ended up working out for the most part. I got greedy... Uh, actually, pretty early. I mean, my, my plan went to the wind as soon as I smelled blood. But I, had, uh, <laughs> I saw the come on. white shark. Your eyes, your yeah. eyes roll back. Yon <laughs> Lo is friends, not food. But yeah, so I ran in. Um, so he had brought uh, Yon Lo, Azamu, obviously, Chiaki, obviously, Sun Quang. Uh, he brought a Kamainu with Grave Spirit and uh, Manos, obviously. And so he. He had that Kamainu with, you know, he's got the take the hit, armor two, hard to kill. Now it's got the regen. Um, and at that point, I was like, all right, I'm not going to be able to kill anything with this thing taking the hit. So it moved up early because he assumed it would be invincible. Uh, so Nakima turned two, aggressed, did, I had two focus at the time. So I burned first focus, dealt severe, got it down to hard to kill, even through the armor. Yep. Um, and then I splashed, I did a uh, pustule, brought it down. It, it, it had Manos's upgrade by that point. So it demise internal backup, hit it again, did moderate back down to hard to kill and then hit it again to kill it. Wow. Uh, so I was like, all right, finally I've killed the five stone model. And so I've, uh, I scored my first point of reckoning. And at that point, Nakima was having to slowly butterfly jump her way back onto my side of the map, uh, to pay for that overextension. Uh, and Azamu still almost got her. Um, she got down to seven health, which apparently was he had assassinate, um, which my overextension caused him to overextend with Manos uh, as he tried to to get that last bit of damage in for assassinate on turn two, and he just missed. He couldn't do it. Um, now, out of curiosity, Andrew, do you have the movement tricks to get in on Manos, or do you just have to eat it on the charge? Or 
Uh, so for models with extended reach, uh, because I do have a dedicated Masaki player in my local meta in the Austin area, uh, I've determined that usually what you have to do is fly with me in. So if they're within eight of a mature, that makes sense. Uh, yep. uh, they will fly with me in. It doesn't count as a charge, and then I get to take my two AP of swings as normal. Uh, in this case, I got to take advantage of the fact that he had jumped in on Nakima with his two-inch reach versus her two-inch reach. Uh, so turn three, I was able to score my second point, point of reckoning, which I didn't think I was going to do. I didn't think mm-hmm. I was going to score anything for reckoning um, uh, because he had jumped in on that. But yeah, so extended reach, you either have to fly with me in or with Nakima and having Blade Rush, you can still accept that you're not going to take the charge attack, but you can still get the Blade Rush point of damage for passing through models. Um, so oftentimes I'll use that to my advantage as well. Um, but my, my game plan worked out. There was, he, he was kind of boxed in in the terrain that he chose, uh, and I just started planting Nikima and Matures in front of the gateways so he couldn't score uh, his search, and I killed Manos as quickly as I could once he overextended because I was like, that's a scheme runner. Once I got him, he's gold. Uh, he ended up scoring two points for Reckoning anyway, one for Mature, two for Hayreden, who slowly melted to death in Yanlo's Hazardous Aura. I didn't take an attack on Yanlo all game because uh, there was just no point in trying. And then I ended up running schemes with Nikima, uh, because she's essentially a scheme runner once Jan Lo is uh, on the board. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And um, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of conversations this episode garners because um, I'm hearing a lot of uh, people poo-pooing on Hayred, and, and it sounds like he's a pretty key piece for you. Oh, absolutely. The kind of stuff that he brings, uh, the revitalizing Igor is especially, it seems like such a, a low-key ability, but when people try to open up on you with a ton of blast damage or ping damage, anything of that sort, being able to splash on each other to heal back up is huge. And even if they're not bringing blasts, if you have three models with damage on them, your opponent now has to make the decision of, am I willing to kill this model to heal those other two models in the process? Uh, and, it, and it does present a catch-22 a lot of the time. The biggest thing Hayridden brings me for the table, though, is the Splat Bat. The Splat Bat, he's got Necrotic Decay on that combat staff, and so what will happen is he will, because I give him in human reflexes too, he'll charge through for a point, or he'll blade rush for a point of damage. Uh, he burns his focus that he got handed out at the free focus candy down back at the beginning of the game. And yeah. then he will deal a four, five, six damage track. But by paying the cost of necrotic decay, he splashes black blood because he paid, he took damage from the trigger. So right. his min damage, even if I flip minimum on the attack, is going to be six damage if I can hit that crow trigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is even harder than Nakima can swing for the most part. Um, so, but it, it costs him his health. So it's definitely not a play you want to do all the time, but when you need something dead right now, Harridan's the man for the job. Yeah. It's a little bit of a missile, right? Because, you know, keep keeping him up, um, in that situation can be a challenge. Um, but if he takes out a key piece, I mean, it's totally worth it. Um, uh, that's a trade you'd, be, you'd make all day if need be. Um, very fascinating. So Rob, you had a pretty good round. You won eight, three against, uh, Joel, who plays out of the Great Lakes Conference, he brought May Fang, and you brought good old Dreamer. Um, so uh, I, first, let's start off with, you know, it, within the Neverborn faction, uh, for you as a player, and I'm, we're not saying in general, but, you know, kind of what are your top three masters? What are the masters you think you're the most competitive with? Mama Z, Dreamer, Mama Z. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, Mumsy, Dreamer, I, I love Lucius. I really do. Yeah. Um, and uh, was your, did you have a pretty typical Dreamer list, or was there anything interesting you brought in to face Mei Fang? Uh, I mean, I actually got my list right here. I was looking at it while Andre was just going on and on <laughs> and on and on. He likes on. to talk. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so it's Dreamer with Ancient Pact, Chompy with uh, Inhuman Reflexes, Widow Weaver, Bowman, Capellius, stitched together in two dreams. Okay, okay. Nothing crazy. Um, and had you, have you played against Mayfang before? But I so, saw a lot uh, of armor and I saw a lot of twist reality. <laughs> yeah. So what was your take on Mayfang? Do you think Mayfang, uh, would, were you impressed? Or do you think it's a competitive crew? I executed her top of turn two with Chompy, so no. Mm-hmm. Was that, a, was that a situation where Joel had overextended, or? So he had put two, uh, a bomb and the soul stone cache on a, an arachnid swarm. And I just went to town on it. it. Made him burn through all his stones trying to keep it alive, burn through his hand trying to keep it alive. Uh, he actually cheated with Mei Feng to kill uh, Capellius, which opened him up for the chompy twist reality. I stone for the mask. Boom, I'm on your face and execute by the, yeah. by the crow. Because he was out of resources at that point yeah. to stop it. He, you can't stop the execute at that Got point. It. It's just, God, hey, thanks execute. for that free full mank. Yeah, free full Mayfang, top of turn, or bottom of turn two. I'm sorry, not top of turn two. Bottom of turn two, just thanks. Yeah, resource management um, is so key when there's, a, when there's an assassinate threat on the other side of the table. Um, it, 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 you've got to keep your eyes open for it. And it's real easy to lose um, uh, focus on it um, and kind of let yourself be left wide open for that. Um, so that's that's um, that's rough. Yeah, I've been on the other side of that. That's so rough. <laughs> when you're staring at it, you're just like, I, I got nothing. Yeah, you just killed my I, model. It's why Dallas is Widow scary, Weaver right? just scary, right? picking off it scheme is. runners and running her own schemes with a little web teleport. Yep. Yep, very nice. Well, that's a good win, and uh, it sets you up for top table. Uh, no, no, you weren't top table. Where where did you end up? You ended up uh, second top table. It was the second top table. Okay, great. Well, let's go into round five. Two and, let's and three had already played him. <laughs> let's find out how these guys finished off. We'll be right back. DZ Learguard here, creator of the M3E Crew Builder app, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because supporting great content creators like them is one of the best ways to help grow this game. So to join me and the other floor heads, go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, and we will see you there. Recently, we broke 100 patrons. I want to thank our most recent patrons, Marcus Moore, Dronex, Joshua Story, Peter Pot, Sergey Chapovalov, Superhottie69, Adam Talbot, and Richie Richmitten. Thank you. All right, so final round. We've got um, a classic, Corner Turf War. Um, that seems to be real popular, that combination. Um, it's got dig your graves, or dig their graves, hold up their forces, take prisoner, deliver a message, and vendetta. So, Andre, you, fa- uh, you face Nick. Um, he is currently fourth place in the Lone Star Conference and a pretty good player. Uh, and it was close, and you got to meet your buddy again, Yan Lo. So it was a 5-4 win. Um what was different about Nick's Yanlo in this uh, matchup? Chain guns. Uh, so th- realistically, Fuhatsu just absolutely changes the game in any crew he's hired into. And that yeah. was no exception here. So whereas with the previous Yanlo, I had models that could actually kill. And then on top of that, I didn't have to keep a model pinned by keeping him in reach the whole game. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, Fuhatsu definitely changed the game on that one. Also, I didn't realize that Sun Quang had Don't Mind Me. 
Uh, so he double changed a uh, turf marker for the last activation and Ugh. denied me a point and gained him a point. And so, yeah, it turned from a 4-1 lead at turn four to 5-4 at the end of the game. Uh, and wow. I was like, oh, man. Um, so, but yeah, for that one, uh, I knew I was going to be at an advantage anyway. Once again, Yon low slow. And so with turf war and a corner deployment, I knew I was going to have free range of the map to try yeah. and score those turf markers early because essentially you need to get up, you know, capture them and then evacuate the corner as quickly as possible to make sure your deaths don't cost you. Yeah. And I'll tell you any conversations about uh, Andre's Nekama list. Um, if you're not talking about the mobility and all you're talking about the killing is you're not talking about what's going on here. And I think that we've proved that over the, we, these five rounds is that really it's the threat ranges and that mobility that, that puts the icing on, on the, uh, that nice little cupcake that Andre has been running. So uh, Brian, you got to play Rob. Um, yeah. Now Rob brought never born Lucius, which we learned is one of his favorites. And you brought one of your favorites, Jack Daw, Relatively close game at six four. Um, uh, let's start off with you, Brian. What did you? Uh, how, how do you think the game played out? Uh, I think it went really well. You know, I think it ended the way it should have. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's really helpful when your opponent forgets how to play. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both tired by this point. Um, yeah, you know, game five, and we've been hashing out this uh, this game for a couple hours. You know, the night before we were roaming together, so we. We were talking about all night, like trying to come up with our matchup and how we're going to play it. And um, I decided to go Jack Daw, even though I hate him in corner because he's so yeah, slow. I bet. Yep. Um, but there was so much terrain on the board, like just a lot of blocking walls that I really wanted to abuse. Um, you know, hide behind it and then teleport out. Um, and I didn't think that I would be fighting on his half of the board anyway because Lucius is so fast with all the obeys. Um, I knew he was bringing the mature. So I knew he was going to be on, in my face turn two, turn one. So I was more playing, planning on playing a defensive game against Lucius. Uh, Rob, you said you forgot how to play. So what do you mean by that? So early in the game, Brian asked me this question. He's like, hey, does any of your models have Ruthless? And I'm like, no, I'm not running the Hooded Rider. And that's basically it for Neverborn. There's this model that comes with Lucius nowadays. I think it's called Agent 46. You know, it's just a, a little... Yeah, he, he's an occasional it. pick in a Lucius yeah, Crow. Yeah, yeah, just every once in a while. But uh, he seems to have that built ruthless thing built in that I completely forgot about. So, uh, so f- pro tip: read your card. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. Not only that, but the uh, what was it? Betrayal on the, on the scribe. scribe. Yeah, forgot completely about that. Uh, didn't realize I should just shoot my own freaking nephilim to kill Jack Daw when he's at one life. Or oh. he was never at one life. Right, he could have been if I'd have shot that Nephilim twice. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so pretty much I did the same thing to uh, Rob, like what I did to Nick, where I just teleported Jack Dawn to the middle of his crew. Um, it's not really a gamble. You know, terrifying uh, effect of 13 is really scary. Um, it spends a lot of resources for them to hit him. Especially when you don't remember you're ruthless. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, no, like, uh, you know, never born. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he wants to swing all day on a terrifying 13 model with his mature Nephilim, come at it. I'll let everyone else score. Um, but one of the things I messed up on when I did that uh, was I was pulling out slow, not realizing that the scribe could just remove the slow. Oh, right. Um, and, you know, you would think, okay, the scribe removes it once or twice, but then he just kept obeying the scribe to keep removing the slow. So more cards. Yeah. So it didn't really make any difference. Um, 
But uh, yeah, Dahl being in the middle of his face really ruined all of his plans. Um, out of curiosity, Brian, because I haven't played Jack Daw yet. Um, he's still on my paint table. Um, how much? How much of your mental energy is spent with hand management with Jack Daw? Less than you would think. Yeah. Um, I'm more managing my opponent's hand. Okay. Uh, because the whole goal of Jack Daw is to make you burn your cards, and even if you're pitching your ones and your twos, that's still a win for me. Because right. that goes into your deck next round. And I want yep. to see those cards flipped. Um, also, terrifying is beautiful because of even if you pass terrifying, you're still wasting a moderate to a high card just to get through terrifying, which means you're not going to hit me with it. Um, so I'm more juggling what you have in your hand and trying to keep your hand dead so I can hit you with executes. That makes sense. That makes sense. And just, and, and just draining resources. Oh, yeah. It, it's awful. It's it's honestly not a great play experience for anyone I play him against. Um but I enjoy him. So well, I, I, and I would imagine it's especially brutal if they've never fat faced him before. Oh yeah, uh, I mean that's got to be one of those just like what the hell experiences the first time you go against Jack Daw. And yeah, Nick definitely wants a rematch after knowing what Jack Daw does now. <laughs> yeah, you approach it different, right? I mean that's a, that's a uh, that's a keyword that once you kind of get it, um, you can see what is happening, and it's um, and I think you've kind of hinted at it, Brian. It's not a keyword you can just read the cards and really understand what the hell is going to happen. You have to you have to see Jack Dawn in, in play to really understand what's going on. Yeah, there's just so many moving parts in that crew that you, you forget so many things about what he can do until he hits you with it. And it's just a nice little surprise. So, guys, one of the things that, um, you know, I find very fascinating because I've got I've got my toes in a lot of different metas. Right. So I have conversations all over the country and all over the world now. Um, I've had, um, you know. People on the show from uh, the UK, obviously, from Sweden, from Russia. And, um, you know, one of the things that I find very interesting is how little metas and big metas kind of form and kind of characterize. Um, Just here on the East Coast, you know, we look at uh, some of the differences that are forming just within the Capital City Conference. Um, We've got, you know, little metas that are playing differently on uh, in Virginia Beach versus what's being played there in the Capitol. Um, and you know, the games played a little bit different, um, uh, as you go farther up North or farther down South as well. Uh, now the Lone Star conference is huge. I mean, literally probably the biggest, you know, square mile conference that we have, but you guys also have several metas, don't you? Isn't there at least two or three? Not really. (laughs) Sort of. I am the Dallas meta, uh, yeah. Andre's in Austin and Brian, you're in Houston, right? Yeah, it's like Houston actually has two small metas within our city. Okay. Um, based off of, you know, location. Uh, we have the League City guys and then we have the Cypress guys. We we play similar, but we are different metas. And how much of a hike is that to go from Houston to Austin and back and forth? I mean, how much cross meta play are you getting within the Lone Star Conference? Only tournaments. Only tournaments, yeah. Well, I mean, let's clarify that, though. So I think one of the advantages that the Lone Star meta has is the frequency of with which we host tournaments. Yeah, yeah it's uh, insane. You guys have... Yeah, we're, we're hosting once a month in each lo- yeah. in, in Austin and, and Houston, and everybody's dedicated enough to come out. I mean, Rob's driving two and a half, four hours to come out to Austin and Houston uh, to, to play these games. And because there's so many of us... Dragging that are, a couple people with me every once in a right. while. Yeah, but he's gunning. He's gunning for those positions to try and you know get to the U.S. Masters Tour, uh, and, and everybody's trying to get in on that. And so uh, once we learned that the you know frequency with which you play 
uh, and unique players uh, increases the number that you can take from your conference. Uh, everybody's out here trying to give it their all. So the distance between the metas themselves isn't a huge issue. We play each other all the time. Well, I got to tell you, it makes me happy to hear that because it's literally from a design standpoint, why we designed it the way we did is to hopefully, you know, inspire a conference like you to say, you know what, we need a lot of people playing this game and we need to get a lot of events going. Um, And the reason that you guys will likely end up with be the conference with the most invites um, is, you know, is awesome for you guys. But it's also well deserved because you guys are getting in your reps in a competitive environment. Um, and it, it, there's no way it's going to, it's not going to make you better. Um, uh, especially as you guys start to travel a little bit, like go to LVO and play against other conferences and things like that. And that'll be key, um, for you. So Andre, in your mind, is there something, you know, you listen to us talk, um, to all kinds of different people from all over the world here on the podcast. Is there something that you think, uh, kind of defines, um, the Lone Star Conference, when you hear about how other metas and other people in deep dives are approaching the game? I think, and I've heard of this from other players that kind of, you know, vacation to, to the Austin meta as aware, but the idea that we are here to both be aggressive and focus on the schemes, because you, you can hear a lot about people that will just play super schemey cruise and focus on that, you know, because I'm here for the points. And then you have other people that get lost in the bloodlust and then they, you know, the table jib, they only scored two points. I think that right. the Lone Star meta, especially because we're tempering each other's steel, as it were, uh, we're, we're bringing this blend of hyper aggressiveness combined with a total focus on the schemes and points. Um, that's a really lethal combination. And I think that... Oh, it's a winning combination, yeah, yeah, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's how you play Malifaux. Yeah. Uh, but I think it showed in spades at LVO that people just weren't expecting us to make the aggressive plays that we did and focus on killing and scheming simultaneously as opposed to trying to blend one or another at a given point. Uh, and I think that's what's making us work. Well, and that comes from playing a lot of games, which you guys obviously are, because not only are you playing, you know, in a lot of events that are being held in the Lone Star Conference, but obviously you're playing each other um, locally as well. Um, Brian, is there anything else that um, you think um, somebody should be aware of when they uh, face against uh, a Lone Star player in the Masters? Yeah, I mean, the aggression is definitely something that we see. Um, and it's something that uh, Andre and I, Andre plays on Vassal, and I have to start picking back, uh, Vassal back up. And mm-hmm. it's something I've noticed with people that I play against is they're just not aggressive. Um, if well, I, so let's take, I want to take a quick quick second here, though, Brian, because yeah. we're kind of using the word aggressive, and it's possible people don't completely understand what That's you fair. mean by that. So when, when you say, when you guys are saying we play aggressive, what exactly do you mean? Um, we're in your face turn one. Um, if you make a mistake on turn one, it will be typically punished very quickly. Um, your master gets positioned a little bit too far. It's going to get removed really quickly. And it's just something that I haven't really seen from other metas. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe. Uh, I was just going to say that, uh, I think one of like the most sterling moments that I can exemplify this in is there's a, a bat rep, I think in Germany of a, Rasputina versus Nakima game. And by the end of turn two, Nakima still hasn't taken an attack. And I'm blown away by that fact where if I haven't taken an attack with Nakima on turn one, I feel out of sorts because with that, right. you know, 20 inch threat range, you're like, oh, obviously I'm going to swing the sword. I've got it. And <laughs> uh, I think the mentality that they're afraid to overextend means that they never try to make aggressive plays that can get them that win early. 
Uh, and I think that's what we're we're capitalizing on. And because we're so used to it from each other, uh, we're really, really good at it. So one concern I would have with that, so like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of the approach. Um, um, and when I say that's playing Malifaux, I, I, I do mean that. But Rob, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are for new players. So when new players are coming into the Lone Star Conference, are they just getting blended up or... Um, you know, how do you guys, how do you guys grow, um, in that kind of thing? Uh, Malifaux's not really a friendly game at a tournament. You are going to get in there, especially in the Lone Star. We are going to chew you up and spit you out. We want our eight zeros. We want our eight twos. I mean, if you look at even in the LVO, I think I had the most, uh, scheme points out of any player because I don't, you know, oh, so you're not as experienced, sorry, this is a tournament, you know, and you can either stick around and get better or you wash out. Like, yeah, but how do, how, how do you balance is. that with still growing it, right? Because, I mean, friendly you, you, games. you don't want to be warm hordes, right? Right. Fr- friendly games. Yeah, casual friendly games, games are the way to do it for sure. I think yeah. that that's the place where we go to test crews that we're unfamiliar with anyway. So the the edge that we have kind of comes down as we're trying to experiment and play test. And at the same time, we want this game to grow. I mean, even as we competitive as we are, we want to get other people worked up into the frenzy that is this competitive meta. And yeah, knocking people in the teeth as soon as they step in the door is not really how you do that. I, I think we do try our best to preface it with, hey, if you show up to tournaments... You're going to learn a lot, uh, but right. in a casual game, we're you know we're not going for the jugular out in, in casual games, and I think that's a good place to get you know new players' feet wet, as it were, um, with the understanding that if they want to jump into the deep end, they can. Yep. Um, yep. And one of the things I would say is that even if let, let's say a new player comes to tournament with Andre and Andre kicks her face in eight zero. Andre's going to sit down with them after the game and go over how they played and help them adjust their lists because that's, that's the only what way I was waiting better. to hear. Um, we'll, we'll sit down with the newer players, and explain what what happened, what went wrong, how to play better. Um, and there's been games and tournaments, even at LVO, where I was like, "Hey, uh, don't forget to do this. Like, don't forget that ability." Um, you know, I'm still playing for the win. Yep, but I'm not going to stomp you and then laugh as I walk away. That's just not how we play it. Well, and let's be honest, right? You want to be good enough that you don't want to win because someone forgot shit, right? Right. You want to be good enough that even if they remember all their shit, you still won. Exactly. Yeah. No, I have have the same approach to the game as well. Um, I think that's good. Well, gentlemen, that was excellent. Um, Congratulations. Um, It makes... um, makes things very interesting as we come into the fall um, to see, first of all, how many uh, how many people are going to make it out from Texas to here in North Carolina. And uh, we've got uh, we've got a lot of um, confident players here on the East Coast that are anxious to get a taste of the uh, Texas love. So, um, uh, Andre, uh, you're welcome have- to come out here. We will yeah, accept you with down. open arms. <laughs> yeah, so- it sounds real inviting now. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. So uh, Doug, I think, is trying to get together a GT. Uh, like early June. So, nice. Uh, if you guys want to come down and get some Texas hospitality, we're more than welcome to. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah so, someone needs to teach these Texas boys how to play Malifaux, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Andre, do you have any plugs? Weird. I really hope you made God Empress Nakima a reality. That's what I'm waiting for. I needed to see <laughs> it happen. And she will never lose to Jacob Lynch. That story is a bunch of malarkey. We need to, we do need to get our box out so that at least we can get our totem. Yeah, huh? yeah, having my own totem would be nice. 
They um, today uh, we're we're recording this at the beginning of February, and they just uh, they put out all the new upcoming, and she's not in there at all for the next like four or five months, which sucks. Um, and uh, do we know whether it's just going to be the two? Is it just going to be the uh, the alt sculpt? Is that what we're expecting in the box? Or is there any artwork tip offs that we got a new sculpt coming for her? Uh, she's got her new style with her with her greatsword behind her, and she's like pointing in one of the arts. Uh, so I think that that's probably what we're going to see in the box. Her, you know, I'm gotcha. pulling clothes off of a large person art, but um, uh, that's what I'm expecting for that box. Very, very cool. Rob, how about you? you got any plugs? Uh, I've been playing Arcanist for the last three months. That's why I got third instead of first. <coughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Sure. Uh, I just want to thank Doug for running a great LVO tournament. Um, Doug's a good dude. Yeah. I mean, he flew up from Texas, brought all the terrain. He was in a 3D printing frenzy for about two weeks trying to print out the terrain for it. Um, came together beautifully. It was great boards. It was great terrain. Uh, he ran a great tournament. So I want to give him a shout out. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. All right, gentlemen. I'm sure we're going to be talking again. Uh, but until then, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, take care. And for those of you listening, I appreciate you sticking around. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Did he just, did he just drop? What are you guys doing? They did. It's bedtime, bro. No, motherfuckers, I need to get your recordings. <laughs> oh, you're on my list. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Yeah, right. that last um, round pairing was ridiculous because what you played against fifth or something like that? No, I'm playing against fourth. Two, three, four, it was Nick. He was in fourth. Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, since I already he- beat y'all. The only <laughs> the only requirement I have for this piece, Andre, is you've got to really shit talk Nick. Okay. Perfect. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it will really piss him off. He's so nice though. Oh, yeah. He's so nice. a great guy. He really oh, is. I love Nick. Like, he, he and really I chat is. all the time. He's a super nice guy. Super He's nice guy. Dude. Uh, we're actually uh, we're kind of talking about maybe having him come out and whoop my ass uh, on the live stream when I play Arcanist. Oh, uh, yeah. cool. 
um, he's talking about coming out. He says he's uh, he might be able to make it out this way too for work. So um, I'd love to meet him in person. All right. Well, I'll make sure to train him a little bit more before I send him out there. Yeah. yeah. Trust me. You don't have to fucking train. I'm terrible. <laughs> it's gonna. It's gonna you know, be. You say that. And I don't believe you in the slightest. Like, <laughs> I'm terrible. Terrible. Talk to anybody in North Carolina. They'll tell you I'm terrible. <laughs> you right. can't play. You coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's Doug's problem. Oh, my problem is I don't have time. I don't fucking play. Yeah, I don't have time. You're doing this. You're doing this shit. can't play it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's embarrassing. All right. Um, okay, round three. We've got wedge corrupted idols with detonate the charges, breakthrough, outflank, vendetta, and search the ruins. Now, Rob, you'd had a nice bounce back after round two. Um, you brought Marcus, um, and you beat Ashley from the West Coast, and her Zoraida eight two. No, uh, Ashley's my wife. She's from the Lone Star Conference. Oh shit! All right, <laughs> and that was technically my Zoraida. Appreciate crew. you telling me that when you read the fucking thing. <laughs> I actually glazed over that. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. We were supposed to read something. Well, it just said played Ashley. I thought it said Lone Star in the sheet. No, yeah, it, says, it says West Coast. I'm looking uh, at it right now. I'm a goob. That's my dad. All right. So we'll try it again. Cool. All right. That was an excellent first 30 minutes, guys. Sweet. Awesome. And it was only 20 minutes. <laughs> Wait, it took a sim to get started. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right. And now we start getting into our uh, our round robins where we just yeah. beat each beat up on each other. <laughs> yeah, but that's gonna be that that thing. I think that's where it's gonna get uh, real interesting. Mm. All right, so Brian, we'll start with you, and then we'll talk about Rob and Andre's matchup. Cool, sounds good. All right. Poor Nick, he's dreading hearing about this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll bring us back. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> She's so excited. Short and sweet. All right. Well, uh, well once we get to round five, or after round five, that's going to be the whole talk about the Lone Star meta, right? Lone Star meta, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about that part. <coughs> so, do I have time for a cigarette, or do we need to keep going? Uh, I'd prefer to keep going if you can hold out for me, brother. <laughs> Why are you giving a thumbs up, Andre? You don't smoke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm appreciative on your behalf. Is really what's happening. <laughs> we appreciate your sacrifice. Right, exactly. Well, I live by myself. I technically could open the door and smoke inside, but I don't really like to do that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring us back. Ooh, Travis is going to wreck you next time you guys play. <laughs> yeah, <he is. laughs> oh, no, Travis. He, he's pulled out a sheet of paper now. He's like writing names down. Right. <laughs> Going down the list. Oh, but he, he is definitely the uh, the toughest player in our meta. Yeah, he's oh, my white male for sure. That's awesome. Uh, now, he plays 10 Thunders. So, uh, if he played a, uh, a play balance Rezzers. faction, do you think he'd still be good? He, he, does uh, he plays Rezzers and still takes first, so yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, if he runs a Karai von Stuck comp, and it's still oh, gross. So he's, he's getting, he's getting some. Sounds like he's getting some uh, work out of the double master. So that's oh, cool. Yeah, yeah he's. I think he's the only one in our meta that runs double masters regularly. Very nice. Yeah. So Deadman's hand was allowed. Is allowed still in our in our meta, and so I had run Nakima Lilith for a little bit, and it was just like not as good as single master for me. But yeah. uh, that dude runs double master all the time, and it's it's pretty solid. Usually, it's Kirai and something, so it's either Kirai and McMorning or Kirai and Von Stuck. He really likes the Von Stuck combo because Von Stuck 
uh, gets to remove the slow off a thing she summoned and then hand it fast because it has a summon upgrade. Yeah. Um, and so it's super AP efficient, and you know the Goryu and the Drowned get to come out beating. It's pretty good. Yeah, a second master with Karai is nice because you can really tech to it, um, and you're not going to be killed by the fact that you've basically are you know down two or three models by bringing you know spending all that uh, all those stones on that master. So that makes sense. All right, I'll bring us back. 